when you can find a particular like label or language that puts you in contact with a community that has these fundamental same feelings and thoughts and uh, goals as you is like, is pretty, it's pretty magical. Hello, and welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a podcast where we discuss the most intimate parts of the human experience. Let's take a deep dive into self-love, sexual pleasure, and absolutely everything in between. I'm your host, Chris Hall, and each week we will be joined by one fabulous friend, and sometimes that friend will just be me, to talk about how we can all become our most radiant selves. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Today, we are joined by Galen, a Canadian, non-binary, transgender masculine, 26-year-old who identifies with the pronouns they, them. They also identify as queer, are half Chinese and half white, and are astrologically known as a Cancer Leo cusp, Aries rising, and a Gemini moon. I reached out to Galen to be on today's episode because they have undergone such an incredible transformation to become their most radiant self, and it is incredibly inspiring. I am so grateful to be sharing this conversation with you. We dive into Galen's views on sexuality, relationships, transitioning, the importance of a good haircut, and explore their unique coming-of-age story. I am so excited for you to listen in. But before we do, just a few quick announcements. Are you looking to get more involved with the growing Reclaim Your Radiance community? Come join our Facebook group to talk podcast topics and more. Or maybe you're more of a tips and tricks straight to your inbox kind of person. Amazing. If you want a quick summary of Stacey's incredible how to reach your goals advice from episode four, we've got you. The links are in the episode description. And now onto the podcast. So, hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming today. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah, me too. All right. Yeah. So, after introducing you, I'm wondering if you can explain the non-binary trans masculine identification of yours yeah of course like I feel like for people maybe who don't super under understand the language or um whatnot it can be kind of confusing because people are like non-binary that means you don't like you're not either and or gender or some people don't really understand how to like identify non-binary or how non-binary works and then they're like, but trans, do you, you still want to be a specific gender? I, I'm confused. Like, what's happening here? I'm like, eh, valid. Um, yeah, for, for me, it just means like, like non-binary means I don't, it's not really that I'm trying to be in the middle. I, I don't love when people explain it like that. Some non-binary people maybe feel like that. But for me personally, like, and obviously I can only speak on myself personally, I feel like neither and or some and it obviously it's very fluid and it can change day to day or it changes with like work sometimes or uh, it's been fun to like explore a more feminine side and get into that. But yeah, it really feels to me like none. Like I, I just don't want any of it. Like your boxes, I don't want them. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what non-binary is to me. And then the trans identifier and why I still want to take on the trans identifier and why it's important to me is like, transgender to me doesn't even mean like one sex to the other or one gender to the other to me it just means like trans is almost short for like transformation like 
or, you, you know, obviously you don't have to do like any sort of medical services or have do anything but feel trans to identify and self-identify as being trans. Uh, but for me, it's like so important to have on my identifier, like something that signifies the incredible like mental and physical journey that I made. Like it was such a transformation. I'm no longer, I have a lot of elements of me being the same person, but I'm like no longer the same person. I'm so much more of a full human, a better human. Whoa. Thank you so much for sharing that. I could not imagine a better way to start this conversation. That is such a beautiful personal definition of transgender, but I'd love to go backwards now. So mm-hmm. let's start with where you started then. Let's let's go back to who you were back in time. <laughs> at the beginning of your life. Like <laughs> what, uh, like, where did you grow up? Um, so I, I mostly grew up in Vancouver. I started out in Burnaby and then I moved to Delta and then yeah I I it's so funny like at the time growing up I guess I felt a little bit different but like at no point where the language just wasn't there like now looking back at it I'm like wow you were so gay like poor little gay you like but you know my parents didn't really do me any favors either like they kind of set me up like this. And I always tell them that, like, I was like, you guys did this to me. Like they, they refused to put me in like gendered clothing and, or have gendered toys. They exclusively put me in like orange, yellow and green clothes. And then they literally named me Galen. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) But at the same time, you, you can't, cause I know that there's like so much controversy around that going around, right? Like that, that okay if you have a gay parent you're gonna be gay you know or like if you're brought up in a certain way like that'll just make you that way but like that's possible <laughs> right like yeah it's true but like I my yeah like my parents are like straight my I grew up fairly religious um but yeah I was like you, like I you literally gave me a name that kids could tease me and call me gay <laughs> And I was like, no, no. And now I'm like super gay. So it's just a really, now it's just a funny joke. But I always, I'm like, you, you guys did this. Like, like I, you sensed it or you like felt it and you're like, you know what? This is the name that we're going to go with. It's also like stereotypically a boy's name. So, you know, a lot of trans people end up changing their names. And some of my friends thought that this is what I changed my name to, but it's, it's like my birth name. So it kind of works out for me. I don't have to go through the process of changing your name, which is like arduous and terrible. Um, And I don't, yeah, I don't have to change all my documents. I'm like, yeah, good. Perfect. So were the people that you grew up around not like that, that just wasn't in your sphere of anything? Like, did you not have any influences or any people in your life where you got to see an example of somebody being queer, of somebody being any of what you are? Yeah, I like early on. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was like, what? No, who you are? <laughs> I did not pick up on that. It's all good. Um, I think like just growing up in like the, you know, early 2000s or whatever, there was a very, very small representation for even like lesbian and gays. Like I saw that a little bit later on into my life. Like, you know, like late night, like HBO stuff, like you'd see like a scene like I I don't even know the shows because I wasn't even I wasn't like looking for the shows but you'd like be flipping through the tv and be like oh 
what's that? Or obviously on porn and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, what's that? But yeah, I honestly, I didn't have like the language to explain my transness for like way till way, way later. Like probably I started working with a, I'm trying to, I don't actually have a memory of like meeting my first trans person, but like meeting my first like very queer people in my early twenties and then just being like amazed. I was like, do I want to be them? Do I want to be with them? Like I like was just so fascinated by androgynous people. And like the more androgynous people were, I was like, whoa. And then I started learning that, that there was like medical things that people were doing to like change their bodies and voices. And I was like, whoa. But my, I, I had a really big influence um, pop up for me as far as like in my transition was one of my coworkers uh, at the tattoo shop that I work at was like my, uh, like my first like big kind of influence to be like, you can actually do this. You can live your life like this. Like you can choose and pick and choose the parts of this journey that you want and just do what makes you happy. So yeah, but that was, that was definitely like just at the beginning of my transition transition. Like it was, it was definitely a lot later. Cool. So did you, when, at what point in your life? So that was like your early twenties that you like got that influence and you, you kind of saw those opportunities, but at what point in your life did you start feeling like something wasn't right? And, and how did that kind of manifest for you? Mm, That's, that's something that like at the time, looking back in my childhood, I, because it's just my experience and I had no way of knowing that other people weren't feeling that. And you know, your teenage years are just like so fucked up anyways. And like, you're so hormonal and there's like all these other things going on that it was just like one of those things, like in the background of like, Ooh, just like feeling unsettled, but it could have been from a a multitude of other things and depression and all this other shit. So yeah, I did. I wasn't aware of it, but now looking back, I did like so much weird gay stuff. Like, you know, like, like there's pictures of me a, I was like, I was obsessed with car- like kind of like Asian style cartoons. So like Pokemon, like uh, Teen Titans, like uh, Sailor Moon, like all those stuff. But I was obsessed with the guys in all those shows because I saw myself in them, obviously, like because I find that a lot of like Asian men and especially Asian men in cartoon characters are drawn with a lot softer features. Like they have like more of a feminine aspect. They're kind of queer feeling. Like we call it like queer coded characters. Like they're not outwardly queer, but when you look at them, you're like, ah, you're kind of not straight. Um, So I was just, I was obsessed with so many of these characters and like growing up in Burnaby, I had a group of, of like friends and we would kind of like run around the playground and like play make-believe and they would be like fight over being Sailor Moon and stuff. And I was like, always tuxedo mask, always. Yeah. Always tuxedo mask, always Beast Boy, always Ash from Pokemon. So, um, there's like those moments and it was funny cause I reconnected with one of those friends, like well into my transition. And, and she also brought that up and she was like yeah like remember when we would like run around and play those games she was like I wasn't surprised like what I found out like later I was like I made me think of those moments and she brought up like a couple moments from our childhood where I was like oh my god like if 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 an adult in my life had the language like like that sort of language at that time or had more knew about that that type of thing being transgender at that time like I think they would have looked at me and been like okay let's explore this with you. Like a lot of parents are doing for their kids now. Like I could have, I could have seen myself being 
someone who like transitioned really early because there was a lot of those signs. But yeah, and a funny thing happens, I think, when you go through puberty is whether you want to adopt what other people are doing or not, like everyone wants to fit in. So I was a super masculine young child. And then I, around the age of like 13 or 14, I flipped and went super high femme. No one told me to, I just like, I knew to fit in and to have the friends I wanted and to have the life I wanted. Like I subconsciously knew that this is what I had to do. So I wore so much makeup. I wore dresses. I almost overcompensating basically for that little child, but you're performing femininity at that point, right? You're like, you're looking at it and going, oh, like this is because I've, I've heard it described recently that it's like a, it's like one of the, the ways you can have privilege in the world almost, right? Like that if you're quote unquote, a pretty woman or like femme presenting, you, you can get things in life that you can't otherwise, right? Oh, I, uh, yeah. And I did, I got so many things like you know, free shit. You go on dates with people, they pay for all your shit. Like, I'm not proud of that, but I fully took advantage of that. Like I, yeah, it's, and it's, it's like something that was so subconscious. Like I thought that I thought I was just being myself, but like, there was so much turmoil going on underneath that. I remember for my, like, even my high school graduation, it was the year that that 007 movie came out. Uh, I forget which one, but it was, the, the Bond girl was Severine in it. And she was this like stunning, like, yeah, like she wasn't white. And I think that's why I was like, oh, okay. At least she didn't really look white in the movie. So she had like slightly darker skin, like gorgeous black hair. She wore this like beautiful, like dripping black dress with like a huge slit cut into it. And at the time I was like, I just wanted to be her. Um, but now looking back on it, I realized that like, me go and I went. I wanted to be her for my grad for my graduation, like for to go basically as her. And um, and then looking back on it now, I was like, that that was just you needing to be a character because female like fancy dress up clothes were so deeply uncomfortable for me. But I didn't have the words to explain how how uncomfortable they were. So I was like, I had to create this like whole facade situation and character and like act a certain way and like move my body with such flourish to, in order to be comfortable. And like, I looked stunning, but was I myself the whole night? Hell no, absolutely not. Oh, that's so cool. Like that you just put on a character. I mean, that's, it's a, it's too bad that you had to do that. Right. But at the same time, I'm really impressed with how you dealt with that and how you just turned it into something that made you feel at least a little bit comfortable with it. Yeah. And I, and it was like fascinating to me that I picked this particular bond girl and how that kind of happened in my brain as well too, because it's like, okay, you picked someone who wasn't like obviously white and you picked someone like, in my opinion, the essence behind Bond movies to me is not James Bond. The power, it comes from the females in that movie. Like she was controlling so much stuff about that movie. And I like, I picked up on that and it was just like, I wanted to feel powerful and strong and like no one could hurt me and also super hot. And like when I put on a dress as Galen, I did not feel super hot. So I was like, who can I be? Like, how can I do this? So yeah, I, I find things like that. Looking back on it, like I had no idea 
the nuance and complexity of those situations when I was in them, obviously, but in hindsight, looking back on like a lot of that stuff that happened when I was in elementary school and then how I made that switch into high femininity to protect myself. And then the ways in which I performed femininity and like used people or got what I wanted or like seduced people to make things happen for myself was like, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Damn, what a journey. I find it really interesting that you started to perform what you call like high femininity in like that was like your your kind of switch and you're like, oh, maybe this is who I am and this is what I want to be. And then like now you identify that that's kind of your you identify you told me that was your sexual orientation. It's high femininity. Right? Yeah, or, that's my type. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, my that's, type. That's like, your type. Yeah. 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 So, like I I do enjoy like people, like I'm not often attracted to masculine people, um, whether that's like, a, like, and it has been for a while, but like, whether it's like a, a butch lesbian or, you know, like a big bear daddy, like that's just not, it's not my type. So yeah, I, it's funny how I did, I did it. I, I embodied a lot of, I feel like if I met myself, like a femme version of myself, I'd be into it. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's hot. <laughs> yeah. I, I oh see God. that though, right? It's like, oh, I'm gonna be myself and then I'm going to embody the thing that I'm most attracted to because I want to be attractive, right? And that mm. makes total sense. That's it really actually when you verbalize it like that, that does, I've never thought about it in that way specifically, but it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause I obviously knew that I was attracted to it. Yeah. That's mm. so interesting. Yeah. So when you're working at that tattoo parlor and you found kind of somebody who could who showed you this new world that you could actually embody and actually live. What was, what was that like for you? Like what, what changes started happening and like, yeah. How, how did that go? Yeah. I mean, I, I went through like the, a really like what I would say, like a very classic story for a lot of like trans masculine folks is like, I went, I, I came out as being gay, like as being a lesbian first and it what didn't take very long for me to like cut my hair short because you it's not that there's like you know it's not that there's stereotypes because they need to be but like there's characteristics and stereotypes that make it really easy to spot gay people for other gay people to spot gay people so like if you're like a woman a lesbian and you really want a lot of attention from other lesbians like you're yeah it's you can you can dress in certain ways or like do your hair in certain ways obviously it's not necessary and I feel like that's a big step that a lot of people take at first when discovering their sexuality and then they unpack it later and then they figure out like you know what I actually still like long hair so I'm not going to do that anymore but yeah so I went I cut my hair short I had my hair short but I was still wearing makeup and, and still wearing pretty feminine clothing and then like as I met more like more like butch like masculine lesbians I was like okay that clothing style looks cool too I'm gonna like I was buying like masculine versions of clothes but still in the women's section Mm. so I kind of slowly started doing that like more like button-up flannels but like would still only buy them from the women's section um and then yeah I met my I met my coworker at the tattoo shop who was at the time I don't know if now but still identified as a lesbian uh, and still went by she, her pronouns. And then, but, but this was like the first person 
that I immediately knew that was like talking about getting top surgery and also binded. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. So I was like, I was like kind of verging on the point. I think at this point I had stopped wearing makeup. I had cut my hair shorter. Um, I started slowly like dabbling in some things with the men's section, but I struggled with that because I'm not because I didn't want to, but because I'm so small in stature. So like just a lot of men's clothes, like their extra smalls just didn't even fit me. And then I found like Asian stores and European stores. And then, then I got way more into it and, and then only bought that stuff. But yeah, so it was her at the time, actually, that gave me my first binder because we were talking a little bit about stuff. And I was like, yeah, like I don't mind my boobs when I'm, when they're like out and when I'm like naked at home. And I was like shirtless at home, like quite a bit. Cause I didn't, I just didn't like the feeling of like my shirts over my boobs. Like I didn't like how with boobs, they like my body didn't fit into the clothes that I wanted to wear. So I was starting to get into like more masculine, like dress clothes. Like I wasn't really wearing skirts or anything anymore. Like if I was going up to something nice, I would have put on a nice dress shirt or a blazer or a vest. And I was like, these things are like in the way the buttons like aren't closing properly. I was like fair, fairly big chested for my size as well too. And my, um, I don't know if she did this on purpose or if it was genuinely an accident. I'm still not sure, but she came in one day and just was like, here, have this binder. Like, I feel like you're going to like it. I ordered the wrong size. I did. But it, like, it, <laughs> and, and it was like a small and, and like, and I think hers, she was usually like a larger or whatever. And I was like, did you though? <laughs> like it's, it was like brand new. And I was like, all right, I'll go put this home. I'll put this on at home. I put it on that, like that night and I literally didn't take it off. Like not real, not really. Cause that's not safe. But I, I was obsessed. I was like, Oh, I felt so good under all my shirts. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it kind of just like snowballed from there. I was like, yeah, but I won't get surgery though. And then I was like binding every day and I was like, no, I'm definitely getting surgery. <laughs> Oh, that's so nice. That That's such an amazing gift for somebody to give you that like, cause that can just, that seemed like it transformed everything, right? Like all of a sudden you had this option, you had this, yeah, way to, way to dress the way you want to dress. It's kind of amazing because like, as a person kind of going through that body dysphoria and you start, and the longer you're on your journey, you start seeing it on other people, like regardless of like, they could be like pretty femme, long hair like whatever you can, you can see it in other people because you feel it so deeply in your soul. Uh, so I, I think that she saw that in me and was like, uh, and then even, uh, now that I'm like on hormones and stuff, she was like, I see, I told you, you were going to go on hormones. Like I fucking knew it. Like I knew, I knew all this was going to happen for you. But then at the time when she would bring it up or joke about it, I'd be like, nah, nah, nah. And she's like, I told you, but I've had that experience with other people. Like, um, like where I kind of just like log it in the back of my head of like, okay, I'm going to watch this. And then if they start asking questions, answer some questions and getting more into it, more into it. And like, I think it's just the circle of life with being a part of any community where you're the amount of information that you can access is not readily available. It's like, it takes you back to the beginnings of humanity of like, storytelling is how we get our information. Like we can't always trust the medical system. We can't always trust you know, other people who haven't, who don't have our lived experience. So it's like, I want to storytell and verbally share as much information with people who are going to be going through the same thing that I went through as I can. Cause I feel like that's the least I can do for my community and to give back to people. 
Absolutely. So how have you, like, what was your moments or moment or multiple moments of like the equivalent of you giving somebody a binder for the first time? Like, mm. what? yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. No, I love that. I feel like it just, my transness ties so much into my work as a barber because I, a big part of, I think a lot of people's first journey into either their sexuality or their gender is cutting their hair and having their hair look and feel a certain way. And so I've just been lucky enough in my work to get paid to give people that moment like over and over and over again. Uh, so countless moments for people's hair, which is such an honor, such a privilege and such a responsibility that I, I love and I carry with such pride. But probably one of my, one of my really, I, I gave one of my old binders to someone. So that that's one thing. And then I donated a bunch of clothes and was hanging out with a, a really young trans kid who came through a program on the downtown east side uh, named Alex. And, and that was, we, we did his hair a bunch. Like he was super young, like 14, I think. And we chatted a bunch. We went for some dinners, we texted and, and that was amazing. And then just a really, yeah, a really good friend of mine. I, I call them my transition buddy. Like we were like a, like they're, I think a year, their surgery was like a year after mine and they went on hormones like a couple months after me. And like, we've just kind of been going through it together. And like, they came in for a haircut a couple of years back and, uh, and I got to, they had just cut their hair short, but it did the haircut like wasn't exactly what they wanted, which happens a lot, a lot. If you, are a seemingly feminine person trying to get your long hair cut super short at a salon. They always try and talk you out of it. They always give you like a weird Karen pixie cut um, because they're too scared that you're like, I, I, you're just having a, a life crisis. Like I, I can't cut all this hair off. And it's like, you don't have the language to like verbally explain. They're always trying to like make the haircut look softer or like more feminine for you. And, and when you're like young and also don't, you don't know hair. So you don't have the, like the language to explain aspects about hair that you want. Uh, then yeah, you sometimes end up with these like weird haircuts and then you're, you're not always feeling super safe to go to a barber. So yeah. So, so they came in and they were like, Oh, my hair's short now, but it's like, I, it's bad. And I don't know like why it's bad. And I can't explain to you why it's bad, but like, it's, it's not good. And, and so I, I got to cut their hair and then, yeah, we, we just, we just got to, to, to talking and they hadn't changed their name yet. They hadn't really started binding yet. And yeah, I just answered a bunch of, a bunch of questions for them and, and just watched them go on their journey and just like, ha yeah, had a lot of deep, deep talks at beaches <laughs> and, and it became um, amazing friends. And now they're like one of my really, really close friends and they've come so far on their journey too, which is amazing. Oh, that's so beautiful. I, I I love the way you talk about hair. And I think that's definitely something that a lot of people wouldn't think of. Cause like, that's like, that's something I've never really thought of, but of course people who identify different ways, like need to go to people who understand their hair. Right. And that's true with different ethnicities. That's true with different genders and people who identify with all different kinds of spectrums. But yeah. So, so did you get into hairdressing because of that or how did that kind of converge? The, yeah, so I think in an unspoken way I did. And then it was, again, one of those things that as I progressed through my journey of being a barber, I realized like how intrinsically linked they were. 
and with the timing of it actually was really funny. Like uh, the timing of like when I was learning barbering and then where I was at in my medical transition was like very closely aligned. And so I've been like highly visible as being trans, like almost the same amount of time that I've been barbering, which is, which is cool. Yeah. I, I, it was just from my own personal experiences, like of, of being a queer person, going to a salon, getting my hair all cut off, having it not feel and or look quite right. Cause they like, they were too scared to like really take it all off, but just really just not having the language and then trying to go to a barbershop and like being like, mm, that's not quite right either. And also I'm scared to be here. Like, it doesn't feel like a safe space for me. Like it doesn't feel like I'm welcome at that time. I was still identifying as a woman and like, and yeah, just the types of conversations that people were having or the the vibe in the shop. Like no one's like saying that they're not going to do it. Although that does happen sometimes. Uh, really? Some barber shops will actually be like, yeah, we don't cut women's hair. And the, and a lot of my friends will be like, hey, not a woman or they are women. Uh, they're like, like gay women. And they're like, but I literally am getting the same haircut as that guy that you're doing right there. And they're like, yeah, but we don't cut women's hair. So it's, it's, it's a prevalent issue in barbering, like the um, gender divide and then like misogyny obviously is a problematic issue everywhere, but barbering is like a super masculine community. And yeah, I, it was, it, it's a, it was a big pull to it. Cause I was like, there needs to be more safe space for this. Like the salon stuff is not quite right. The barbering stuff's not quite right. I'm like, I need to learn how to do this. I need to have learned the language. And then something that I enjoy helping people with too, is like, people will message me from different places in the world that like can't obviously come to me for a haircut, uh, for help. Like, how can I describe what I want? Like, what's the language that I can use if I do want to look and pass as more masculine? Like, what can I do? And, and I can like actually give them answers to that. Okay. Get them to cut this here, cut this like this, square out this part. It's going to help out a lot. And people are like stoked on that. Oh, that's so good. Oh yeah. This sounds, it sounds like you're doing so many amazing things to help out the community and it's wonderful to hear. Mm. I feel like it's like, it's like the least you can do. It's like, that's your bare base minimum duty. <laughs> like I, I was lucky to have so many people in my life that it's like, that's like my, where my bare minimum's at. I'm like, if that's my, if I can do that at least, and then build on that, then we're good. Absolutely. So I was wondering sometimes or okay so I have this theory that like relationships you can kind of like look back and reflect on how different relationships like in time have grown with you and like you can kind of see how your journey has progressed using your relationships as a mirror so I'm wondering if you can reflect on that like have you had kind of relationships that have like how have your relationships progressed throughout your life like romantically Hmm. oh that's actually an interesting idea I've never really thought about it like that the interesting thing for me is like I've actually technically only been in one relationship, the one that I'm currently in, because, and this is going to sound really terrible, it it probably is, because I just had never met eh, anyone that could, like, hold my interest for more than, like, three or four dates, and, like, I, (laughs) it's so bad. I've, I've, I've since then met lots of people that hold my interest, but, (laughs) like, or like in, even in a friendship way I'm like there's lots of fascinating people out there I think I was just in the wrong demographic of people but I was like oh all these people are terrible 
that's true. Yeah. It's like, you can go out a couple of days and be like, hey, I'm bored. Okay. <laughs> that's the thing is like, I loved being by myself and like fundamentally had no problem being by myself. I lived by myself from an, a pretty early age and I had a lot of like thing, like my own things going on. So I was like, if you're not enriching my life in any which way, or I'm literally bored of you, or I feel like, I, like, I don't know which I don't know enough about astrology, but I feel like there's like a deep, like astrological sign reason as to why I'm like this, but it's like, when I was younger, I would like try and crack people. Like I would like sit down with them and I'd be like, I want to like understand you fully fundamentally as a human. And then if that happens super quickly, which sometimes it honestly often did. And I think it was like, it's in part of like my ability to, I'm like very empathetic and my ability to people just spill a lot of stuff to me. And like, I definitely used it for less good things when I was younger. Now I reserve those moments for my friends and to help people. But yeah, if I could get someone to just like spill everything and then I fundamentally felt like I understood them and knew them and there was like nothing, like they would say things and it wouldn't surprise me based on what I already knew about them or they wouldn't, yeah, it just wouldn't keep me on my toes. And I would just immediately be like, I'm not interested. Sorry, you told me all this personal stuff. I'm not interested in you. (laughs) Yeah which is terrible, but so what makes your current relationship different then? Oh, she just, yeah, she just, from the get go, we started as like coworkers and really, and became friends. And I didn't really know that she was interested in me because I, well, I, she had a boyfriend and I was like, didn't realize that she was like questioning her sexuality. So I was like, okay, cool. And I was like doing my own thing with this other girl at the time. And like going out and being young and stupid. And then, yeah, she, she, um, like we got to know each other, I think, without that sort of lens. And I feel like I had a very like boxed and categorized opinion of people based on whether I was like, it was purely romantic or like purely friendship. And like it was so, they were so held so far away from each other for which I now know is like not necessary. And so, yeah, we actually just got to know each other outside of that context. And then when she did tell me, I was like, Hey, shocked. Like I was like, what? I was like, wait, 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 what is happening? Um, and then, yeah, she just continues to surprise me and just, I still feel like I don't understand fundamentally who she is as a person, not in a bad way. And like, okay, just, yeah, she just keeps me on my toes all the time. I think it's because, well, we are so opposite and we joke about this all the time that like on paper and astrological wise, like we are like not a good match. Mm. And so maybe I was just with people who are like too similar to me or like too readable to me. Yeah. But, but she's confusing. I think I need to be like challenged and confused consistently because I, I have a little bit of an attention span problem <laughs> with everything. I'm like hella into everything, like like hobbies and shit. Like I will delve so far into them for like maybe less than a month. And then I'm like, sell all the shit that I bought for that hobby and all the books. And now I just have a lot of information on this thing that I have never done since. <laughs> interesting. What is the, the weirdest hobby that you've done then? Or just like the most interesting, the one that you're like, what the hell? I mean, I, I'll tell you like my this has been going on my whole life. So I literally have like a slew of hobbies that I've been heavily into, but my most recent ones, I just bought a bunch of stuff to make chain mail. That's my current <laughs> one. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then my big one through the pandemic was, um, was fermentation. So I got into the kombucha 
pickles, sauerkraut, not sourdough bread though. I left that for other people uh, that I was not interested in that. That's so funny. I, I love that like nothing holds your attention long enough and that you just like go from one thing to the other. Like that's, that's fascinating. I feel like you could write a book on all the things eventually. Oh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I could like not, no statement is truer about me than like Jack of all trades, master of none. Love well, that. I'm master of, master of some, there's some things that have held my attention, but yes, Jack of many trades, master of way fewer. <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever, I guess this, this probably doesn't ring true. Cause now you have like a, but are you ever almost worried that you'll get to a certain point where you're all understand your partner in a way that makes it so that you're like, eh, okay, this doesn't hold my interest anymore. Uh, you know, I'm not worried about that anymore. I feel like once we, we've been together for like almost seven years now. And at, at that point, it's just like, now we're just at the point where there's such a, like a deep love and respect and connection and like sense of family with the person that it's like, we, we talk about this often where it's like, we will likely be in each other's lives in some capacity, no matter what happens. Like, it's just, it's like a, even just a friendship, like the longer you have a friendship, like obviously time doesn't, it's not the be all and end all of things, but like, it means a lot because you've invested that much time. So when you look back at it, you have like, you know, seven years worth of memories, seven years worth of like heartaches, seven years worth of like, she was a, with me through my whole transition, like lots of like special moments like that, that you're just like, I don't want to lose that person because people are oftentimes like a lens and a mirror for you to see certain parts of yourself. So it's like, if I lose that person, I'm losing that perspective and that lens of and mirror on myself. Yeah. Wow. And I, th I think that's, that's very true for people who have, for, for people who have that strong of a connection with somebody. I think I hear that a lot that it's like, well, I love them this much and they're going to be in my life forever. Like there's, there's no way around that. And whatever happens, happens. And it's, it's nice to have that very kind of relaxed feeling about it that like, you're not trying to control any outcome. You're not going to control what happens between you, but like just recognizing that like they're, they're there for you forever. Yeah. Like, and I think that again, like taking that pressure off of like, like, yeah, we're married. Like, yeah, we signed a pa papers. Like, yeah, I always joke that like, well, it's like a lot harder to get rid of me. I mean, you can do it, but it's like, maybe it's going to cost money. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, like that, none of that really means anything. And it's like just a daily decision of to what capacity do you want to be in each other's lives? This capacity still? No, it doesn't have to be this capacity forever. But like, I guess I've never really understood people that will say that they love someone. And then when things blow up, they blow up to an extent where it's like violent and the, the, the words like there's like such intense hurt like especially people who have been together a long time I'm like there's like some things that some people do during a breakup that I'm like yeah that's a valid amount of like hurt to inflict because you're hurting but then there's some things that I'm like how can you do that to someone that you like were saying that you do love them like that seems so extreme yeah yeah I, I don't think I could be I could be that like I can't even fathom and or foresee or picture doing something to hurt my partner like that, no matter, I, but it's because she wouldn't do something of that degree to hurt me. I think if she did something, I, I can see where people, it's like one person does something first, then the other person's like, no, fuck this. I want to like, like smash the glass ceiling on that hurt and break through that. 
So I get that, but like, yeah, to just do something upfront. Yeah. I just don't, I don't really, I, I don't understand. I just don't understand that. Yeah. Cause I mean, anger doesn't change love, right? Like nothing no, I, in my love. opinion. Yeah. Like in my opinion, like love is the much more potent force in that equation. Anger is, is a, is a, like a split potency, but it doesn't have that prolonging force behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's like, it's like a, like a firecracker versus like a, like a massive bonfire to me. Like, it's like, yeah, the firecracker is like loud as shit in that moment. Or like firework is like crazy and bright in that moment, but like, it's gone really quick. Yeah. There is, there's so much we could dive into that, but I just, I, I don't have a good way to, to ask this question, but I do know that you have been in a thruple before I, I <laughs> and I wanted to ask you about it because I know nothing about this and I'm super curious it's that's so funny um yeah I mean I yeah that was the thing that happened it, it happened <laughs> kind of randomly it kind of happened out of the blue it was it, it was not the most positive experience for me in my opinion not like very healthy looking back on it but uh yeah, we may, we got through that. I think it was a necessary experience that I had in order to like reframe and be able to reword parameters in within a relationship and like fix it and like pin down language in order to explain my personal beliefs on relationships, both platonic platonically and like intimately actually. Like I have feel like I have a much more expressive handle on like even my platonic relationships, which I value actually a lot more heavily than my intimate relationships in a way. Interesting. So how did that kind of develop? How did that happen? <laughs> I was like, yeah, what, what do you want to know? Um, well, it was, it was a person that we just ended up knowing mutually through like work or whatever. And it just, honestly, the, the main fuel in developing and why this situation became such a problem was just like so much like alcohol. Like I've never drank so much in my life, including in my twenties. Like it was so bad. Like it was like borderline problematic. Like we were drinking like every time we like were hanging out and you know, we were going through a lot. Like, like we had talked about like, you know, like opening up our relationship and like just chatted about like our feelings around relationships and like how we believe that like monogamy and just thinking that you're never going to be attracted to another person ever again in your life and like having that non-communicative mindset on things is just like a surefire way to have someone cheat like like there's healthy ways to practice monogamy that don't line set up situations like that and then there's obviously unhealthy ways to practice it and same with like you know open relationship stuff or poly stuff but yeah it it was just like a, like a lot of alcohol consumption and being very hungover for months <laughs> the whole time <laughs> so when you, the lesson we're taking here is that if you drink a lot you start a throuple that's that's how that works you might you know like <laughs> yeah, it, it, it might happen started from alcohol continued with alcohol yeah yeah it was, and then and then exploded from alcohol <laughs> Interesting. So what was your biggest learning point from all that? My biggest learning point was, and the biggest mistake that I made, honestly, was the amount of trust and 
respect that I have for my like longstanding partner, you cannot give that amount of trust to a new person. Like that level of trust has to be earned. And I was like, took the same level and was like, here, put you at the same level. And then that was what blew up. I was like, oh, you're, you don't mean what you're saying verbally. Oh, right. Because like not everyone means what they're saying verbally. That's unfortunate. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. So do you yeah. think it's possible to have like a healthy throuple? Oh, a thousand percent. Okay. Yeah. And, and like my partner and I are like, we're like, not that, that situation again, but like if, and if, if the perfect situation arised and there was like a very communicative person, like we're like, it would have to be really the right person. Like, at, like in hindsight, the person that we brought in was really not the right person and was like super stirring shit up um, and, and enjoyed doing that, I believe. And, but yeah, if it, it's not like completely off the table, like there's amazing people out there who, but it would have to be someone who is like more in touch with the communication side of what polyamory and being in an open relationship is like, what I learned is it's just, it's a lot of work. You take the amount of work that you have in a relationship with one other person, and then you double or triple or quadruple it, depending on how many people you're seeing. It's, it's <laughs> for me, that situation was like, the amount of work was like at a 12 and the amount of fun was between like a three <laughs> and maybe a four. Like it was, it was very drastic. Yeah. I find that it's almost a common problem, especially with people starting out with polyamory that they tend to, well, cause so like your, your first partner or your primary, or I, I know that that language maybe isn't right and it's really changing but like you're the person that you're already in a relationship with even if it especially if it's like long term and you have all this trust and you have all this like established connection like that took you a lot of effort and a lot of like it, it took something to find it right like it wasn't just something that fell in your lap and you're like yeah sure like it was it was very specific to like fit you and your needs and like both match together. But then people don't have that same intention and same, or, or I find that people don't have that when it comes to like the second or third partner, right? Like I find that sometimes the common failing is that it's like, oh yeah, but like, I really, I'm interested in having a second partner and like, it doesn't matter as much as the first one. And like, so let's, let's just be kind of less, like less intentional about it. Like, does that kind of resonate a bit? Cause I find I've, I've seen that quite a bit. Yeah. I would say, um, because it happened so like circumstantially with us, like I think we weren't necessarily as emotionally or like like emotionally prepared or like as educated as we would have been if it was like a situation where we were like more like it was yeah if it was less circumstantial, I think we would have been in a better situation um, education wise. And since then, have like uh, educated ourselves a lot on the topic and have had a lot of conversations and a lot of of uh, talks about what went wrong and what we would do differently and what our personal parameters are and investigated like the other parameters that other people use and like just be becoming more conversational and you're right, like more intentional about our feelings about certain situations. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just a comment on it. Know. Right. I'm just, it's, I find that that's a, that's a pattern I see a lot happening. It's, it's funny because like I, because, you know, different relationship structures are obviously the lesser known option to monogamy um that people yeah people like to talk a lot of shit about what they don't know right so it's just like what we were saying with monogamy is like there's people who are 
having intentional relationships and treating people well within monogamy and there are not. And I think Polly's the same thing. Like, don't get me wrong. There's like definitely a lot of people that I feel like are in Polly situations as a cover up for just being a asshole um, or just getting to like fuck a lot of people without having meaningful conversations. But there's also tons of people who are being very intentional very um, respectful, uh, very communicative in poly situations because they genuinely believe that uh, a big part of the human experience is to form intimate connections with all people, uh, everyone who pops up in their life and to learn from people and to respect people and to use it as a tool to just be more connected in the world. And I've seen a lot of people do that. And I love that. And that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Like my my partner and I, we always are like, we always talk about like, we're, we're not like trying to go full on into that lifestyle or that dynamic. Uh, Like we're not about to go on Tinder and like actively seek things out. But like, if anything happens or pops up, it's a conversation we can have. So it, it just feels like you can be more honest and intentional in like other connections and not be scared of like, obviously you can still, cross boundaries but like you don't have to be scared of where a journey can go like you don't have to like cut a person out because you're like you see where it could go it's like if it does go to those places you can kind of communicate that with everyone in the situation and actually gives you the space to be free and to explore it and be respectful and responsible with all the people involved which is great right and you can yeah, it's it's so important to not cut anyone off from exploring anything because that's when there's like that that fear that you're not going to be able to be authentic in yourself that then pushes you to do things that you wouldn't have done otherwise, right? Like you wouldn't have gone and tried to seek this experience if you had just felt like you had the freedom to do it. Like sometimes all it takes is just like yeah, like you can, you can be yourself. You can do that. And just that freedom and like honest and open communication with someone or like your partner in this case that allows you to just be like, oh, okay, well, because I know that I'm free to do it and there's no worry and there's no like, oh my gosh, I need to do this now. You just, you chill with not doing it. Like sometimes it's just the knowing that you can means that you don't. It's yeah, it's true. It's just like, that's yeah, that's where I work. It's just, it's just not like openly like seeking out situations for me personally like because I feel like I'm a really busy human and like say honestly it just like boils down to like who you are fundamentally it happened prior to me being in a relationship where I was like I'm a really busy human like don't have a lot of capacity to like give to someone so it's got to be like the right person and honestly that hasn't changed it's like really busy human don't have the capacity to give to any more people um I if if I have capacity I much prefer to like connect with a friend but if it happens, it happens. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. Cause like, I know we didn't touch on it previously, but I don't super connect with the like marker of Polly Amory. Like, uh, I don't, I don't identify personally with that. Um, but I've been delving a lot into a relationship style called relationship anarchy, which is, um, in short form, it's in the, it's in the poly umbrella. Like it's definitely within, it's, it's within non-monogamy, but it has a much more of a focus on bringing up your platonic relationships and any relationship that you form in your life to the same level, uh, and regard as romantic relationships. 
where the thing, the main thing that I struggled with and like before finding this terminology was that I have a really deep regard for my friendships and I had someone in my life prior to Sarah who I would call my, like, we used to say like, we were like platonic soulmates. Um, so like, this is a person that I would build my life around that I would structure my life around. We talked about maybe buying property together or like living together at some point and like doing all the things that like a romantic couple would do, but we like aren't romantically connected, don't want to be and aren't sexually connected either. And so, yeah, relationship anarchy, just like in its very basic premise, they use this concept called like the smorgasbord, which is like any and all, right. (laughs) Um, Any and all like relationship options are on this platter. Uh, It could be, you know, we have a kid together. We own a pet together. We live together by your, like my coworker or boss. Uh, we have sex or no, we just cuddle or we uh, share intimate and emotional things about each other. Like any and all of these, of these relationship intricacies. And basically every time you meet a new person, like we have a relationship, you and I, basically we have a relationship right now and we have this smorgasbord and we can like pick the things off of the smorgasbord that like you and I want and like your and I's relationship is just as important to me as like mine and this other friend's relationship or mine and my partner's relationship or mine and my sibling's relationship or whatever. All these relationships are at the same level and it just gives each and every relationship in my life the space to be exactly what it's going to be. You can pick these things off the smorgasbord. They can change via communication and like talking about how you want your relationship to move and change. But like it's all a relationship. Every person in my life, I have a relationship with. And it's just as important to me than like the person I'm married to. We just so happen to pick that for our, you know, our relationship. So I love that so much. That's where did you find that? Where did you find that definition? I'm so curious. Mm, uh, Actually, one of my, like a person that I connected with on Instagram, a friend of mine, and they've come in for a couple of haircuts and we've hung out a couple, like we've chatted a couple of times. Uh, they, they told me about it. They were, they were like, yeah, I'm a relationship anarchist. And I was like, love the word anarchy. Whoa. What is this? Where is this going? I've never heard this concept before. And uh, bless them. They, they were like, well, I can have a call with you and we can chat about it. I'd be happy to answer your questions about it. I was like, yeah, I'm so fascinated. Like I'm so interested in this. Cause you know, I have, yeah, I have all the tons of friends who are poly and, bless them. Let me ask questions about that sort of stuff or have given me resources and books to read and this, that, and the other. And I've read like some of the ethical slot and, and some of like the, um, what, two, two or two and three or more. And I don't know the name of that book, but it's got a blue cover. (laughs) It's a very, very popular one. Um, and yeah, so, so I sat down with them and we had a big conversation and they gave me a bunch of information on it and then told me a bunch of like podcasts and references to look into. And, and I checked out the, there's a diagram of like the smorgasbord and stuff that like lays out all the things. I was like, this is, yeah, this is it. It just gave me a word to express something that I have actually a relationship structure that I've had in my life for a long time, like over 10 years um, and gave me a way to explain what I was basically already doing. But like, then I found out like other people were using this language and it just fit perfectly. And I was like, yeah, this is amazing. That's so cool. I see so many parallels between kind of your, your journey, 
your, your trans journey and this journey too, that like, you didn't have the words to explain it. You didn't have that context. And then like, all of a sudden you meet somebody who has that context and you can, you know, you learn from them. And then like, all of a sudden you're developing your language and that helps you kind of define your thoughts and organize your thoughts. And I love that. That's just like, it's another journey. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, there's positives and negatives to like labeling and try to get categorized, categorize people and things and places, which is like a a very natural human obsession. Like it's our deep rooted feeling of needing to understand things and why things happen. Um, And obviously there's like negatives to that, but like there are definitely some positives to it. Like when you can find a particular like label or language that puts you in contact with a community that has these fundamental same feelings and thoughts and uh, goals as you is like, is pretty, it's pretty magical. Like you, cause prior to that, I was like, just didn't have, you're right. I didn't have the language to explain it, but I, people are going to live how they want to live regardless, but you feel a lot less alone and a lot like less like you're struggling to explain yourself when you have much more concise language to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can just walk up and say, this is how I like, right. Cause as much as I don't like identifiers, it helps so much. Right. And like, that's exactly how I start at every show. And like, that's cause it, it helps. It helps to be able to concisely explain, this is where someone's coming from. This is where they've been. This is like, it, it gives you a little bit of a snapshot into their world. Absolutely. 100%. All right. So we're coming up on the hour. Um, and so I don't want to take up more of your time than I promised. And even though I still have so <laughs> <you>. many questions, <laughs> <laughs> no worries, but, uh, yeah, thank you so much for everything you've shared and for your, your openness to discuss it all. And I really, really loved listening to your, your views and your introspections about everything that you've, that's happened in your life. It's, it's fascinating. And it's, it's really beautiful to hear the words you put to it. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. So if, uh, if people want to find you, if people want to, you know, if people want a, a barber that's accepting of absolutely everyone and uh, <laughs> where can they find you? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Instagram is a good place for me. I have two pages on there. I've got my personal one, which has got my modeling, a uh, little bit of activism and just general, oh, cute animals and weirdness. Uh, and that's at Galen, the investigator, although that might change soon, but <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. For now, Galen, the investigator. And then that links through to my barbering page, which I'm unfortunately, I'm not posting on a lot at the moment because I've just been busy with other personal artistic projects and stuff like that. Um, but there's some haircuts on there and there's ways to book with me and ways to get in contact with me for if you did want a haircut. And that's at the friendly barber. I love that name. Me too. I was so shocked that no one had it. I'm never giving it up. It's the never. best. It's no. so good. Especially yeah, how it. you describe the barber community. Like you need to be the friendly barber. That needs to be. Yeah. Hell yeah. I know. It makes me so happy. I'm so glad I thought of it. I'm so glad no one had it. Cause there's lots of like the blank barbers. There's tons of those pages, but no one's friendly. Damn. <laughs> God, it's a whole I'm market. There's lots of friendly barbers out there, but I just have the Instagram handle. So <laughs> of course, of course. Well, yeah. Thank you so much and uh, have a, have a great day. Yeah. Thank you. You too. 
And with that, we come to the end of this week's episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed your time with us and came away with something truly valuable. If you want more and simply cannot wait until next week, come join us online. We have a couple of really exciting communities that are being built. First, we have a Facebook community with the name Reclaim Your Radiance, where we talk about all sorts of talks related to the podcast, and tons that aren't. It's a community of like-minded souls who want to dive deeper into these things and keep the conversation going. Secondly, you can sign up for our mailing list to receive bonus content and stay in touch with what's happening in the world of Reclaim Your Radiance. And lastly, coming soon to a computer near you is our Patreon. Come along and join us for extra content, regular community meetups, fun swag, one-on-one time with yours truly, and so much more. Stay tuned for that. Head on over to the episode notes and the show description to find those links. And I hope to see you online soon. All right, everyone. Until next week, stay radiant. Stay radiant.